I want to introduce you now to our speaker, Linda. Linda first became part of our Women of the Harvest family in the early years of our print magazine because she was one of our initial authors. She and her pilot husband, Kevin, served in Venezuela for many years before they returned to the U.S. to provide leadership in, their, in MAF's home office. And then she also helped direct Fairhaven Ministries. You might not know about that. That's a retreat center for pastors and global workers. Currently, she serves as a spiritual director for global workers around the world. Linda has actually served with us on 18 retreats since 2009, and she's been our speaker four times. So she's a treasured member of our Thrive family. So welcome, Linda. We look forward to what God has to speak to each one of us through you. Thank you, Lori. I'm so grateful to be with you in faraway places and to welcome you into my home. None of us imagined this, but we're thankful that God is allowing us to do this. And I'm just really grateful for Lori and her Thrive team for Megan and Lee and Kevin and the volunteers, everyone who's worked so hard to put this together. And of course, ultimate glory and thanksgiving goes to our Father God, who is so kind to give us everything that we need. So I wanna make sure that you have seen in your retreat handbook, the notes that Lori referenced earlier that you can take while I'm speaking, but also the praying in color. That is something that all of us can do. You don't have to be an an artist to be able to pray in color, but I like to use colors to highlight different um, emotions, different feelings, different, um, different emphasis on different things. And so it's just really important to be able to um, enhance what we're learning by using our art, our artist's ability. So I would invite you to do that, whether you're doodling or just enhancing your notes or just listening and, and sticking with me that way. I also hope that you were able to look at the intro um, message that I sent you that will help set us up for this time together. Because, you know, we're going to be talking about the messy side of prayer. Prayer is wonderful and we find encouragement and solace and consolation in our prayer lives. But there are times when our prayers are just really not there for us. We wonder what is going on? Does God hear our prayers? It seems very mysterious to us, sometimes even confusing. And that's what we're going to be talking about, which when our world is the way it is right now, it makes a lot of sense to ask these kinds of questions. Prayer is the most important thing that we do to live, and to live well and to thrive. And yet there are these times when we struggle with prayers because it's just not working the way we had been taught it would work as children or how we expected it to work. Sometimes God says no to us. Sometimes he says maybe. And sometimes he says yes, which is our happy dancing moment when we get to hear that yes. So I'd like to just ask you to consider right now in your heart, how would you describe your prayer life? You can probably look back and you can see many different phases of your prayer life. But today, how would you describe your prayer life today? Some of us pray because it's what we do. Some of us pray because we want to be good Christians and good Christians pray, right? That's what God told us to do. Some of us really believe in prayer. 
And we may not always use words. We may send arrow prayers up to heaven. We just may pray silently before him. We may wait in expectancy and hope with a lot of faith. But there are some of us who don't expect answers. We question if God even hears. And some of us, we wonder about our prayer life. I wonder if you've wondered some of these questions. Why do I pray if God already knows what he's going to do? You ever wondered that? Or why do I pray if God isn't going to do what I'm asking him to do? Sometimes I've wondered, is there a better way to pray? We have lots of questions about prayer, and I want us to just look at this one question right now. Why do you and I pray? Why do we pray? And there are many reasons to implore. I'm going to quickly go through this list, so hang on. But there's so many reasons. We pray because God's Word tells us to pray. Romans 12, 12 tells us to be faithful in prayer. We pray to be like Jesus. We want to be like Him, and He prayed. We share what's on, on our hearts with God when we pray. We pray to partner with God in all that He is doing around the world and in our own lives. Prayer helps us to be strong when we're tempted. Prayer grows our humility. It reminds us that we are helpless and hopeless without his intervention when we pray. Prayer reminds us that we are not in control. It actually helps us to be more submissive and surrendered to God and his plan for our lives. Our prayers for each other express our love for each other and our bond for each other and allows us to carry one another's burdens. We sometimes pray as a last resort, but prayer is where the real work gets done. We implore God because we hope, we believe that God is going to answer our prayers. We pray with faith, but sometimes not much. We pray with hope and yet sometimes we doubt. Sometimes we have no clue how to pray. Something so big has happened, like a pandemic, and it confronts us and we just don't know how to pray about it. And other times we are speechless, prayerless, because something has happened to us that is beyond words, beyond understanding, and we have no idea how to respond or how to pray. So what do we do when we don't know how to pray? A friend recently confided to me that she was struggling with prayer. She finally felt that she was recovering from a period of very turbulent years. Her crisis had passed, and now she did not know how to pray. How do I approach God when everything is okay, she wondered. How do I pray when there isn't a crisis to bring to Him? That's a great problem to have, right? I doubt that many of us have that problem right now. but. Wasn't it wonderful that she was willing to admit that she didn't know how to pray? As I see the suffering in our world today, I often have no words. I just don't know how to pray sometimes. And this is when our God invites me and invites you to ask him to teach us how to pray. You and I have never lived to date before. Despite all this gray hair, I am a rookie at today. I've never faced today's opportunities or today's conversations before. I am a rookie at today. And in spite of the arrogance that we sometimes get into and thinking, we've got this, we know what to do, we're just gonna walk into our days. 
we actually need God to teach us how to pray and teach us how to live each day. And thankfully, praise be to God, Jesus wants to teach us. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, first with his behavior and then with his words. Daily, they saw Jesus confronted with many needy people. And almost every day, he was challenged and rejected by religious leaders. They knew he didn't have a home. They knew that Jesus didn't have a deep place to sleep. And yet they still wanted to go and be with him and have him teach them how to pray. Because you see, they saw him challenged. They saw him watched. They saw him questioned. And yet they saw that he did not burn out. He didn't wear out. He stayed who he really was. And he kept walking towards his destiny. So during Jesus' daily life and in the middle of all of his challenge, the disciples saw him get away by himself to pray. They saw him escape the crowds and go to his father, and sometimes they would be privileged to be invited to go with him. He came back from each of those prayerful encounters with his father, ready to continue his work. The disciples and the others noticed that Jesus was different than other rabbis. He taught with power, with authority. He acted with compassion and love and wisdom. And over time, as the disciples are watching him, they're going, this man is different. He is different. And so they decided to ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he did. And we're going to pray this prayer together now. And if you're able, I'd invite you to stand with me. It'd be something that we can do together is actually stand. But if you can't, you can stay seated. But let's read the Lord's Prayer from Luke 11, 1 to 4. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Jesus, please teach us to pray. Amen. You may be seated. You and I need to be taught to pray. Our circumstances often demand more from us than we have to give. We want to thrive in all of life's ups and downs and opportunities and challenges. We want to be like Jesus who did not wear out, who did not burn out, who lived his life so victoriously. So we're asking Jesus, teach us to pray. And we're going to do that today by looking at each aspect of the Lord's Prayer from both Luke 11 and Matthew 6. And ladies, I have to admit, this is a dense message. It will take you some time to process it, and we're going to give you that time at the end of this message. But this is a lot of material. So maybe there'll be one or two things that you can really take to your own heart, but it's so rich, and I don't want to pass over anything. So here we go. I love that Jesus told us to call God Father. Jesus told his followers the ones who could not say God's name out loud, they, he told them to call God Father. In naming God as their Father, Jesus declared them his children. He made them family. 
When we call God Father, we are honoring God's decision to make us family. We come to prayer as daughters of God who are not beggars. We're not outsiders. We are not forgotten. We are not abandoned. We are loved, cherished, and from our true identity as family, we come to God in prayer and we pray, Father, Father. The Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 5 to 14 places God in heaven, our God who art in heaven. Even though he is everywhere all the time, God's position, his home is in heaven. He is positioned over us, over everything. He transcends whatever you and I are facing today. Knowing our Father God is over all is such a gift to us when we feel overwhelmed, afraid, or small in the face of our trials and challenges. They can seem like they're just right up here, just about to take over our lives and so tall, and yet we can still extend our eyes to heaven, and God still is transcending everything. Our Father God transcends everything. He is in heaven. He is over all. When we address God with, hallowed be your name, we are honoring his name. We are declaring God's holiness and our respect for his name and all that he is and all that he does. Our names represent us and our reputation hangs on our good names. God's name is holy even as he is holy. So when we call him Father and we declare he is over everything and we say, hallowed be your name, we are saying he lives up to and beyond his role and reputation as our Father. We are declaring he is who he says he is. As our Heavenly Father's daughters who are loved and cared for, forgiven and saved, we pray with confidence because God is who he says he is and he does what he says he, he will do. We don't pray because of us. Our trust is not because of who we are. Our trust and our faith and our confidence in our prayer life is because of who our Heavenly Father is. Knowing who He is allows us to pray this next phrase, Your Kingdom come. Because He is our Holy Heavenly Father who is above everything and matches His reputation, we trust him and we believe in him even when life is upside down. This allows us to be able to submit and surrender to him. And so we're able to pray, your kingdom come, not mine, yours. When we pray your kingdom come, we are asking God for his ways, his kingdom to reign in our lives, to show up in the answers that he gives to our requests. Your kingdom come to my life in these requests. God's kingdom is so much greater, holier, more perfect than ours. His kingdom will establish his sovereignty, his justice, his mercy and peace on the earth and in our daily lives. His kingdom is a kingdom of love, of kindness, truth and righteousness, faith and trust. And this is the kingdom that we are inviting to come into our lives, into our needy world. What a message of hope. Next, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 adds the words, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This phrase emphasizes our position of willful submission to Him. Our submission to His will becomes worship and adoration as we bow to His kingdom ways and submit to His will in our lives here on earth. Our submission to live His kingdom ways reveals itself in this next petition. 
give us this day our daily bread. This is a request for our daily needs to be met. And when we pray this, we are meeting our deep daily needs can only be met by God. Many of us are very strong and independent women. We have no desire to be dependent on anyone. We may have trust, we may have control issues, we value fulfilling our responsibilities and taking care of ourselves and our families, our friends, our ministries, all of our responsibilities. So it can be really hard for us to humble ourselves and admit we have needs and we need to depend on God for his provisions. We have to admit in a humble way that we need his resources for life. Jesus is inviting us to humbly pray, Dear Heavenly Father, who's greater than all that is going on in your perfection and with your will, your kingdom's culture's way, please meet this need in my life as you will. What is God's perspective on our needs? Well, Matthew 6, Jesus tells us there that um, we're not to worry about food or drink or clothes. He tells us that we're worth more than the birds of the air. He implies there that God cares for them, and so he's obviously going to care for us. Philippians 4, 19, Paul tells us, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So God, our Father, who is above everything, is waiting for us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. And yet because of where you live and where I have lived and where we are living, we all know that there are hurdles to praying this prayer because we see so many hungry, needy people. So what does this prayer really mean? This ancient philosophical dilemma may seem unanswerable to us, but I have two I wonders that I want to share with you. I wonder, is it possible that if God isn't meeting an obvious need in our life or in others' lives, that there is a deeper need that is being met in this unmet need? Like the unanswered prayer for companionship for the lonely. Could God have answered our prayer with himself, desiring that we would find our companionship in him? This is the difficult, messy side of prayers. I also wonder if we don't really get what Jesus is inviting us to pray about when he asks us to ask for our daily bread. You see, in the New Testament, bread often symbolized more than the bread that we eat. Bread sometimes meant Jesus, God's word, the wisdom of God, the body of Christ. Bread represented the spiritual gifts and the abundant life. Bread also represented Jesus because he called himself the bread of life. I believe that in this prayer, Jesus is teaching us to ask for all of our needs to be met, including those needs he meets when he gives us himself, when he gives us his abundant life that he came to give us in the good times and in the barren times, in the times of need. When we ask for our daily bread, our humble ask is actually asking for him. Kevin and I have moved many, many times, 26 to be exact, which is a crazy number of moves. And a few moves ago, we moved from New Jersey to 
Seattle, Washington, my family was falling apart in Washington State, and Kevin took a new role as a pastor in a church in Seattle. And so we moved there, but I'd only been in New Jersey for two years. It had taken me two years to start to feel at home there and to have all of my at-home things in place. And we moved to Seattle, and I felt very empty. And that was the word I was using to describe my life as empty. Empty of routine, empty of friends, empty of shortcuts, empty of knowing where to shop, empty of knowing who were my medical um, caregivers. And as I brought that to the Lord over and over again, he eventually got my attention and he said, Linda, I want you to think of this differently. Instead of the word empty, could we just substitute the word spacious? I want you to think of your life as spacious. And I want to fill it with my spaciousness. You know, that was life-changing for me because empty sounds like death or lack. And spaciousness sounds like life or abundance. And God wants us to live into life and abundance. So even in what appeared to be empty, God himself wanted to fill it with himself. He wanted me to seek him. So what is our true ask when we ask for our daily bread? The next petition reminds us that we need to ask for God's forgiveness and forgive us our sins. Maybe forgiveness is what you and I need the most because Jesus is the one who came to earth to pay the ransom for our sins. Jesus is the perfect one to invite us to pray, forgive us our sins. With that request, Jesus is modeling to us behavior he wants us to live. Remember, we sin against God. He has every reason to not forgive us. And yet he is modeling for us being a forgiver. He releases us from our sins. He forgives us. And though we do not deserve that forgiveness and have done nothing to earn it, he gives it. But my question for you is, do we receive it? Do we live as forgiven people? We may ask to be forgiven our sins, and yet we do not receive his forgiveness. Maybe we don't feel we deserve to be forgiven. Maybe we struggle to live into the truth that our sins have been completely forgiven. Maybe shame and guilt shadow us. But you see, when we receive God's forgiveness, when he forgives us, we're not minimizing our sins. We're not excusing ourselves from our bad behavior. We're not saying we don't need to do restitution or repentance or restoration. We know we are sinners and our sinners are a horror to us and a horror to our God. And yet, because we are forgiven people, we are not held captive by our sins. Receiving the forgiveness that Jesus has come to give us sets us free from our sins and all of their penalties. Forgiveness results in amazing freedom. This is what Jesus wants us to experience. And because God knows the beauty and the benefits of being the forgiver, of having the joy of forgiving, he wants to for us to become forgivers too. He wants us to enjoy the benefits of forgiving. So he invites us to pray as we, as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Just as he forgave, he is asking us to forgive. Forgiving others as we are forgiven can be very hard. It can be very messy. And yet, Jesus knew the power of forgiveness in the life of the debtor and in the act of the forgiver. Both need forgiveness. 
One needs the ability to forgive, the actual forgiveness that's going to be given, and one needs to receive the forgiveness that is given. We know that Jesus' invitation is backed up in Colossians 3.13 and Ephesians 4.32. These verses remind us that we are to forgive as Christ forgave us, who forgave us everything. The forgiveness that we are to give was first given to us, and we cannot give what we do not have. So have we received that forgiveness? Have we accepted and are we living into our forgiven status? And if so, then, ladies, we have the ability and the resources that we need to forgive others. When we receive his forgiveness and pass it on, we become conduits of his forgiveness. And this is life-changing for us and for those that we forgive. Let's talk for just a moment about what forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness is not justifying behavior. It's not excusing behavior. It isn't pretending it did not happen. Forgiveness is being set free from revenge, from vengeance and judgment. It is setting the individual free to be better than they were when they sinned against us. Forgiveness may say, I forgive you, but you are not safe to me. I will prayerfully discern how to do life with you, but in forgiving you, I am deciding that you no longer have the power to make me bitter, angry, or afraid. I know that many of us have so many opportunities to be sinned against or to be disappointed by people. Our leadership can disappoint us, our teams can disappoint us, our families, our sending churches, all kinds of people, the people that we serve, they can let us down, they can disappoint us, they can sin against us. We have many opportunities to practice being forgivers, to receive the forgiveness that we need and to forgive others. Forgiveness is freedom. When we're forgiven, we are set free from our sins, and when we forgive others, we're set free from their sins against us. In both cases, we are set free. We are no longer held hostage by our sin or by the sins of another when we forgive and when we are forgiven. The next um, instruction Jesus gives us is to pray, lead us not into temptation. Authorities on scripture agree that temptation probably means trial or testing, and they believe that Jesus is instructing us to pray that God will not permit us to sin or to fail at whatever test or temptation we may face. Jesus is inviting us to ask our Holy Heavenly Father who is above everything and who will meet our every need and forgive us when we sin to help us live his kingdom ways by not falling into sin. So an overindulgence calls my name, which has an abbreviation called chocolate, or when I'm tempted to be worried or anxious, which I often am, I can pray, Heavenly Father, please lead me, guide me, and teach me not to sin. This is where the Lord's Prayer ends in Luke, but in Matthew it continues. It says, but deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus wants us to be successful at kingdom living. This is his invitation to us, and he says that we have an enemy who is fighting against us, an enemy who doesn't want us to be successful at kingdom living. And so he invites us to pray for deliverance from evil that wants us to not experience God's kingdom life and victory in our lives. 
And when we are delivered from evil, we can attribute to God all power, all glory. So ladies, in the Lord's Prayer, we are acknowledging who our Father is and who we really are. We are inviting him to bring his kingdom culture into our world, and we're submitting to him when we ask him for all we need, for forgiveness of our sins, for protection and deliverance from evil. We acknowledge how incomplete and needy we are, and we ask our holy, complete, righteous God to do all that he wants to do in our lives. So, because he is father and I am daughter, because he is perfect and I am not, because he can meet all of my needs and I can't, because he gives me forgiveness and teaches me how to forgive, because he is holy and amazingly declares me holy too, he can and will protect and deliver me from temptations and from evil. And because of all this, I want to pray the way Jesus closes his prayer in Matthew, for yours is the kingdom, the ultimate authority, the perfect place to live, the power, the only way that I can live a life like this, the glory, worship and adoration, thanksgiving and honor forever and ever always. Amen. 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 The prayer resource for you today is to go back through the Lord's Prayer on your own and take it apart word by word for you, for your circumstances, for your situation right now, and take some in-depth time to just pray the prayer intimately with you and our Father. Thank you.